0: Welcome to Twilight Times Special Edition of director Paul Schrader's Hardcore. Uh, Very interesting film, one that I enjoyed very much when it came out, as much as one can say enjoyed a movie that's about such a uh, depressing subject matter. And I'm joined here uh, by my colleagues, uh, uh, Paul Scrabo, who is a film historian producer, technician, and engineer, and uh, also Eddie Friedfeld, film historian, and also an author of numerous uh, books related to the entertainment uh, industry. Welcome, gentlemen.
1: Thanks, Lee. This was Paul Schrader's second directorial effort. It follows Blue Collar, and if you're a fan of that film, I certainly am, uh, you may spot a few character actors from Blue Collar. Uh, Ed Begley Jr. in a very brief part, and actor-producer Leonard Gaines. There seems to me two color schemes in Hardcore, either subdued and lifeless for George C. Scott's normal world that we see here, and then overblown and fake for his trek into uh, pornography.
2: Eddie? Well, I, I agree with you. What's interesting to me about this film, which I also enjoyed, is that it starts out so beautiful and pristine in this um, middle-American lifestyle and snow and sledding, and and it just spirals down into darkness and despair, and we get this glimpse of a John really John Milius, dark,
0: executive producer, of course, yeah. he's a very big uh, name from that era of filmmaking. Uh, it was such an exciting era of filmmaking, too, because... The late 60s through the 70s, you had these wonderful uh, established directors, Howard Hawks and Alfred Hitchcock, still making movies into the 70s, along with these young Turks like Paul Schrader, and Spielberg, and Lucas, and Scorsese, and all coming up. So this wonderful, uh, wonderful intersection, if you will, of very talented younger filmmakers, along with the old masters who they revered so much.
1: Now at family gatherings, we've all seen uh, people split up and go to another part of the house and sit and talk about uh, politics or sports. You know, they're really getting into it, having, like, these heated discussions. And we notice here that uh, Scott's friend and family uh, do get into heated discussions about the world of religion, uh, about the rule of God.
0: You can talk theology, John, but I go back to the Bible.
1: Schrader wrote a first draft of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And in his version, the Roy Neary character, the character that Richard Dreyfus played, was the biggest skeptic. I think he was a military person. And then when he was convinced there were UFOs, uh, he and his wife traveled around the country trying to convince everybody about the UFOs do exist. Spielberg preferred Roy Neary to be more of a dreamer. uh, As we see in the finished version the film, he's playing with uh, toy trains and playing with his kids. He's got that gleam in his eye.
0: It's, it's curious because Schrader, of course, has had uh, experiences with alternate versions of films, uh, especially the Exorcist uh, prequel uh, that was so controversial much later in his career. Uh, but here we have, uh, someone said uh, when we were discussing the film prior to the commentary recording, was that here we have... Uh, A a situation in which we have this God-fearing, conservative family, um, loving but strictly run by a matriarch. But yet, it doesn't take the obvious road, you might think, and and denigrate these people or make them look silly or or foolish. Uh, It's just their lifestyle, and uh, they're very devout in their faith and one might expect along the way this to be mocked or to take some moralistic pot shots at it but I think I think refreshingly uh, Schrader uh, re- refrains from taking that obvious road now of course Schrader himself has said that this movie reflects part of his own upbringing isn't that correct gentlemen that he he had sort of a a Calvinist uh, yeah, he, conservative did have, he did upbringing. have a
2: Calvinist background it's just interesting in terms of the philosophy of This type of uh, strict Calvinism, especially against the '70s era of new opportunity, that Calvinism relies. One of the precepts is predetermination—that your life is uh, your life is ordained—and and and the outside world, or in particularly this dark world that the characters uh, go into, the polar opposite world is completely the opposite where nothing is ordained. You don't know what's going to happen, although you know that in that world anything that's going to happen is not going to be good.
0: I mean this was done at a time when the film industry was really taking advantage. Uh, It was shot in 1978, 79, released in 79. It was a a period of of great excitement in the film uh, world because the breakdowns of self-imposed censorship that had watered down so many adult-themed movies uh, up until the release of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? That was the film in which uh, Jack Warner said, I'm not going to cut it. I'm not going to edit it. Uh, Screw you. Uh, I don't need you or your production code seal of approval. He was right. They didn't need it, and the freedom in cinema exploded with that in 1966, and it got... You know, much more progressive uh, in terms of uh, what you could show in terms of sex, drugs, violence. Uh, Some would say not for the better. I happen to think it was because we can finally see adult-themed films like this that would have been unthinkable, you know, 15 years before or so. This is also the post-Vietnam, the post-Watergate era
2: time, not the best or the most optimistic time in American history, Uh, And and at the core of this film is is what was prevalent at the time, the generation gap about one generation not understanding the next generation and everything coming out of there. This is uh, Dick Sargent, uh, post-Bewitch. He was the second Darren. Um, This is an interesting role for him because there is is nothing comedic about this role. Uh, I think Dick Sargent was playing more light comedic roles and this is a very very somber role but a good role for him oh, it
1: was great to see him doing this, it really playing was
2: playing off against George C Scott who you should mention is just one of was one of the greatest actors of his time theater television film um and i mean this was this was patton this was uh this was somebody who played patty Chayefsky effortlessly well, it, it,
0: it's funny uh, scott's career had an interesting uh uh trajectory uh, started out as a character actor, a very highly acclaimed one. His first movie was in the late 50s, The Hanging Tree. Uh, made an impression in that opposite Gary Cooper. And he really Ned didn't start from the bottom and worked his way up, actually, because he started fairly much at the top with, with the high profile supporting roles uh, Anatomy of a Murder, which he got an Oscar nomination for. Uh, and of course, by the time 1964 came around, uh, he was uh, the star with Peter Sellers of Doctor Strangelove. He really gave one of the great comic performances of all time in that. Uh, a lot of times, it's overshadowed by Sellers uh, in that film with his incredible work. But Scott was adept at playing uh, comedy, slapstick, uh, high drama, as he does here, and uh, was an interesting guy. One of those really tough guys from the last generation that probably never set out to be an actor. They, were, they had survived the Depression, World War II, and kind of drifted into it. And uh, he was a cantankerous person by, by all accounts, uh, known for drinking and uh, uh, sometimes abusing his wives uh, physically, but there's no doubt about it that he was one of the great talents of his time.
2: I think this is very important because this is a very restrained and understated role for him. It's kind of less is more. What's interesting about this scene and the scene before is he's in the custom furniture business. Everything is built to last long and quality, but exactly the way he wants. My way or the highway kind of guy.
1: And this is how he does it as a professional. He uses her words to change her mind he doesn't argue with her but he has her bring up the word overpowering
3: maybe we could uh, bring more of that shade in them. Um, perhaps a panel
4: no that would be much too overpowering
3: overpowering that's the word i was looking for
2: sexist, repressed, and you get all of that. This is where Schrader's genius comes in, both as a writer and a director, because the economy of how he gets that <laughs> all in, in two scenes, So you, have you to know, know exactly who yeah. this guy is. He is not going to budge an inch. He believes what he believes, he knows what he knows, and he does what he does. Yes, and
0: this exposition is, is very important. Uh, it's something that's lacking in films today, which feel... The audience is so restless, you've got to cut to the chase almost immediately. Films don't even have credits anymore. No. Because the okay? <laughs> they think our, our attention span is oh, so God. short. But if this film were made today, my guess is They're that they'd say, well, you've got to start this thing off on a provocative note. You've got to rewrite it. You've got to show us what's going on in the porn industry to start. And then you'll know, get some provocative shots in there and then cut to, to these this family's experience. But... You know, Schrader takes his time in an era where you could take your time to get to the, the main uh, uh, story line. To this
2: point, you almost want to be part of this family. They've showed you Christmas. They've showed you turkey. They've showed you sweet and upstanding and loyal. And you haven't seen the termites in the building yet. You haven't seen the decay. and And that's important to set this all up because you want to see a fall from grace, you want to see a spiral, right. because if it's about setting up characters who have something to lose and then lose it, because if a character has nothing to lose, you don't care all that much if significant things happen to them.
0: And this was filmed in Grand Rapids, uh, Michigan, correct? Uh, yeah. He he didn't attempt to do this in uh, some Hollywood studio. It has a feel of authenticity to it. Um, uh, he, he immersed himself, Schrader, into uh, a society that he understood very well based upon his uh, uh, his upbringing. This this girl on the right plays his daughter. Her name is Isla Davis and for whatever reason she's never had a screen credit before or since this is my understanding and she did a fine job in, in the movie, I thought. Um, so, you know, at the time this movie like like some of Schrader's movies, were very unappreciated in their time. Uh, This movie, because of its provocative uh, subject matter, was dismissed by some people as being very exploitive, denouncing something while he's exploiting it. And I guess there's some truth to that, no no doubt about it. But it doesn't negate the fact that it's a powerful film, it's a realistic movie, and it's a very effective one uh, on an emotional level. Oh, and I think you're right. It's it's very nice to see Dick Sargent, um, you know, cast against type in a in a in a dramatic role, an intelligent role. Very difficult for sitcom actors to get those roles after you've been associated with. Uh, yes, because, because very the, difficult because
2: directors are concerned that the audience is right. going They'll to have a distracted. perception. So, yes. to
0: Schrader's credit, and, and maybe it was the casting director who were always among the most neglected uh, contributors to, to major films. But whoever came up with the idea, it's an inspired choice and a refreshing one that uh, they uh, gave him that opportunity.
1: And there's some interesting irony here, if, if that's the word, because you have Dick Sargent who, similar to Bob Crane, who they called could have been another, had, had Jack Lemmon qualities about him. And in fact, Schrader kind of revisits sort of some of this area again later on with autofocus. Right. The story of Bob Crane. Right.
0: A severely underrated... movie by paul schrader and you know i i will say that we're not just drifting here unintentionally we do want to discuss paul schrader's works uh intermittently as we watch this film unwind. Uh, it is also my understanding i should say that uh, paul schrader is providing his own commentary track on this release so um we're doing the best with the facts we have but uh, if mr schrader contradicts anything we say then of course we have to defer to him but uh uh, we will be talking about various <laughs> other films of, of Schrader's during this period. Uh, you
2: reminded me of the Woody Allen scene, in, uh, the Annie Hall scene, where somebody starts talking about Marshall McEwen. McLuhan, yeah, McEwen, yeah. And Woody Allen brings him out <laughs> yeah, yeah. saying, You know nothing. <laughs> you of know my work.
0: nothing of my work. Well, I don't want Paul Schrader to visit my house and say, I, read, I heard your commentary track, you know nothing of my work. Uh, uh, we're very reverent especially considering that
2: he was the one who created the Travis right. Bickle character
0: in Taxi Driver Well it, it is it is rather you uh, don't want uh, that it, it is rather odd to be con- to be having a secondary commentary track about a director's movie when the director's on his own commentary track but we that's the great thing about Twilight Time uh, they really pour on the analysis, I think, to the wow. delight of uh, movie lovers. Well, it's
2: also, it's about cele- celebrating great films, and that's what we're doing. I mean, we're, we're, um, we're providing an extra layer for uh, real fans. And
1: we've said yeah. one of the takeaways here is to see Dick Sargent in such an interesting role as this, and this film could only have worked, in my opinion, with an actor who can show... Quiet rage can grow and grow and have a sense of danger, and that is George C. Scott.
2: The, the contrast to watch him raging
1: in a film like
2: Patton or making these amazingly intense evocative speeches in a movie like The Hospital, where right. here he is, he is, the character is not articulate, the character is stoic, the character is reserved, so you get insights into the character through very passive-aggressive, very indirect expression.
3: We've interviewed everybody there, and nobody around there had ever seen before. But is she, has... At present, there's no indication of any violence. Let's hope she's just a runaway. There's something very wrong here. Kristen isn't the type of person to just up and leave. I said, let's hope she's a runaway. See, if she's a runaway, then at least she knows where she is. And that's better than a lot of these other kids, because some of them, they're not going to show up for years, and some aren't going to show up at
0: all. And, you know, Scott... <laughs> He was a leading man. He once in a while would top line a film like The Flim Flam Man, 1967, what have you. But it was only with Patton in 1970 with his immortal Oscar-winning performance, Oscar-refused performance, I should say. Um, that he really became a sensation. He was always respected on the stage, but he became a sensational screen presence, but he really didn't have many big box office hits. Uh, This, uh, the Patton and The the Hospital were big hits. He got an Oscar nomination for The Hospital, but he sort of drifted into middling roles. Once in a while, he'd do a great film like Islands in the Stream, or a very good movie like this, Uh, but he had a very checkered record. Now, here we see Peter Boyle, the connection here is with Schrader's uh, Taxi Driver, which he wrote the screenplay for. And you know
1: what's interesting is we've been talking just via just a few paragraphs. We're only about 16, 17 minutes into the movie. Everything has changed already. Right. Almost in an instant. Right. We're when in a completely comes, different right, situation. Exactly.
4: Yeah. And, and, and
0: here we have the antithesis of yeah. Scott's character. He's dealing with this... Uh, rather disreputable character, this CD gummy. Yeah. yeah. And uh certainly they live in uh, two polar different worlds. Uh but of course Peter Boyle did have a key role in Taxi Driver, which was uh three years earlier, which was uh written by Schrader. I guess you could say Taxi Driver was Schrader's breakthrough movie as a Hollywood talent. Prior to that, he had written the script for a very underrated uh, movie called The Yakuza, uh, directed by Sidney Pollock from 1974. Uh, excellent screenplay by Schrader. Uh, I think it's one of the most underrated movies of the 70s. And,
2: uh, and I think he, got, he broke a record for being paid uh, a
0: high, high fee for the uh, screenplay. Yeah, and it's a very, very good movie, very intelligent. His films tend to be very intelligent. Many of them were not appreciated at the time of their release. Uh, I always thought that Schrader tried to talk uh, up to his audience in the sense that he respected his audience, he respected the viewer. He tended to write very intelligent scripts with very complex characters. And of course, his trademark was excellent realistic dialogue. This movie is written very well. I mean, uh, considering that the Scott character, Peter Boyle character, is so extreme opposites, the dialogue between them seems very realistic and believable. Uh, You would think the direction might flow that way between two (laughs) very opposite men. And and this is touching. I mean, there can be nothing nothing in the world worse than not knowing the fate of your child. you know, uh, he doesn't know where she is and, and what and it's what's, all about. And what's
2: worse is uh, to know that he may not have really known her at all. And that right. is, and you, this is somebody who wanted to be a good parent. And somehow right. starting to realize that he wasn't, that shakes the core of who he and, is. You know,
0: every parent, and I'm a parent, every parent uh, makes mistakes, makes, in retrospect, uh, Gross misjudgments, probably, but all of us, or most of us, really think we're acting in the child's best interest at the time, and that's what this man is doing. And that's the redeeming part of this character—that while and, and that's again
2: to Schrader's credit.
1: Do you think that's why, in this scene, he's handing a gift? Maybe he's trying to make up—like I'm forgetting people's birthdays or yes, gifts that sir? he's, he's
2: trying—that his—he's—he's uh, he, a. Potentially a prisoner of his own upbringing and his own conventions and he's starting to have self-examination because something has gone really wrong And, and to this point he has not. He has totally believed in his way of life as the right way from his worship to his family to his business. Everything was going. Well, it's smoothly. very
0: believable because uh, I mean, I, I mean, in the, in the interest of full disclosure, I, I am not a religious person. I guess I'm an agnostic, an agnostic slash atheist. But uh, I can identify that this is a very difficult thing that this man is going through. Uh, faith uh, tests people all the time. Uh, you try to live your life as a good, decent person, like the holy book says. And you have to start questioning yourself, uh, why is this happening to me? Why does this happen to good people? And the only answer anyone can give you is that God works in mysterious ways. Well, that's not very satisfying to people, Uh, even people uh, of faith. They may pretend to accept that. But they don't and he's not accepting it at this point. you also can't goes- say I'm a good guy, my family's good, I made mistakes, but I'm a decent man, therefore I know nothing's going to happen to my daughter. Even the most devout religious person is not that naive. He he knows she could be in terrible danger. And it's a puzzle to him because he thought everything was great. And, you know, this happens in life all the time. There are marriages that go sour where one person thinks they were in a wonderful, loving relationship, and the other one thought it was a living hell. You have to have faith.
3: Would you?
2: Could you? and even beyond faith the issue here is when somebody realizes or starts contemplating what they may have done wrong not as a practitioner of any religion but as an individual what could i what have what have i potentially done wrong that hurt my child that's right and that's such a pure devastating analysis realization when you go through that and realize you could have done more you could have done better it was within your control and you chose not
0: to and this all could be your fault. It's all second guessing and uh, Scott's, you know, now now he's going to be in a fish out of water the, scenario. Just the sure. visual
2: contrasts contrast, contrast right. of this scene is so interesting cuz um George C. Scott looks impeccable in a tailored suit and here's uh, Peter Boyle in the wrinkled sport jacket and no tie with the button top button clothes which was very not stylish. Well, again, uh,
0: I mean, we had We had done a commentary track on Twilight Times' uh, Tony Rome, and we said uh, the dearth of believable-looking character actors in today's movies, you just don't see guys that look like Peter Boyle. Uh, They wouldn't get past the studio gate today uh, in any kind of major role, let alone to become a big star. Boyle had become a big star in 1970 in John Abelson's movie Joe in which he played an extreme right-wing fringe guy like an Archie Bunker type um, who is appalled at the youth movement. Now, here we have a very disturbing scene. I mean, we can just imagine what's going on in this man's mind, how uh, shocking this would be, and 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 how much this must have replayed itself in real life, uh, you know, especially in the age of the video uh, revolution which certainly brought pornography out of grimy theaters into people's homes. Well, everybody you see in a porn movie is somebody's relative. And the girl looks very scared and uh, we can kind of see that what she thought was going to be an exciting adventure has turned into a nightmarish experience. That, you know, she's probably being coerced in some way into doing this. And, you know, the idea of this poor man watching this uh, on spool in this theater, I think Scott is great here. That shot of Scott was used on some of the advertising posters for the campaign, along with the rather sensationalized tagline, uh, my God, that's my daughter. And I mean, it never says it in the film, I don't believe. And it. at
1: the crescendo here, film running out, the lights go brighter, and you hear the sirens. It's all oh, yeah, it's so perfect. Is,
0: Scott is superb in this scene because... It looks precisely like we might imagine a, a, a man like this having to endure this humiliation, this this worry, and, and it would be it would be devastating for any parent to see that, but it would be especially devastating for a man of devout faith and a Calvinist what background. Like general,
2: this, what he's watching is literally a message that he failed as a father. Right, and. And it's just like your life flashing I, you know, before your eyes when you're about to die. That's what's going on here.
1: And the Peter Boyle character, I'll never, I guess you're not really supposed to peg him down. I don't know if he's basically a person wanting to do good. Yeah, just you're a not sure. guy. shady, yeah. He's an like, opportunist. I'd uh, like to think that as the film progresses, I think he, I think he does care. I think he just wants to do the right thing. But... He's it's it's that's what's very interesting about the character his moral compass right. is flexible
0: right but you think as the film goes along I, I, I agree with Paul you tend to think that there's some grain of genuine human emotion in this guy who uh, you know even by his harsh standards he starts to feel some and, empathy and, and
1: sometimes I don't know if it's accident or design but as they end this scene one of their first meetings as Scott leaves I believe Peter Boyle grabs his arm, like in Friendship. Yeah. believe one of the last shots in the film, we'll have to find out to remember, I think Scott grabs his arm.
0: Right. Well, you know, growing up in Jersey City, right across the, city, the river from Manhattan, uh, Manhattan was my playground when I was young. And as a teenager, I would frequent these porn palaces all the time with my friends. And it was sort of a perverted Disneyland if you were coming of age as a boy in those days. You thought it was terrific you know, because you, you had naked women. You put a quarter in, the, in a slot and a, uh, the window would go up and there'd be a woman in front of you. You could watch all the porno movies you wanted. So this was, for, depending on your point of view, this wasn't a bad thing depending upon where you grew up. But of course, the porn industry does have a lot of victims in it. And now that church music
1: has now gotten a little bizarre now. A
0: little, little, yeah, ominous. Goes from being comforting to ominous. Schrader is another guy who uh, eschews studio sets uh, in favor of actual locations. And I think it it ends a great deal of realism to his films and authenticity.
1: This gentleman is Leonard Gaines. He appeared uh, in Blue Collar. He was the IRS guy with Uh, the leaky pen. And that young lady there is a real porn star, Serena. Great
4: talent.
0: Action! Movie, let's go. This This was pretty raw stuff, especially in 1979. Don't you think in a lot of ways, the movies have gotten more conservative today uh, you don't be more difficult to see a mainstream movie with a big star with a scene like this in it, because agents steer their their actors away from the, these types of really provocative things. This would be unheard of, really, in most main. Cause you wouldn't see Leonardo DiCaprio or Brad Pitt doing stuff like this today. Also, they would be steered away from
2: it. It's not as much forbidden fruit anymore because if you have a if you have a phone. You can find stuff like this online. Yeah, but I think a
0: lot of it is also, um, a lot of it is just uh, actors not willing to be associated with films that would be uh, uh, deemed as politically incorrect or exploitive of women. But you can't make a movie like Hardcore without showing this, I and mean, this is what it looks like. Uh, porn movies are basically a lot of bored people sitting around waiting for a couple of minutes of action, which is mostly what movie making is all about. It's about waiting, uh, waiting, 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 which is why you know people like Frank Sinatra uh, didn't like uh, numerous takes. Dean Martin didn't like it. Uh, because it's all about waiting. There's a lot of boredom in filmmaking and that includes, believe it or not, the porn world too. be worse for the porn world because you have to be able to perform on a minutes notice. <laughs> yes, he, he just used the line of
2: dialogue, what do you know, what do you hear, what do you say, which is a variation of James Cagney in Angels with Dirty
1: Faces. Right. He probably is a James Cagney fan, a real movie fan, and this is as close as he's gonna get to making movies.
2: This Andy character, he's not a bad guy, but he's not a good guy either. And he provides a very stark contrast
0: to George C. Scott's character. He looks like the kind of down in his heels LA gumshoe that would actually, you might meet in real life.
1: Lenny Bruce has a saying that uh, America is great because it does not punish untalented artists. You can make something and call it art.
0: Right, that's you know. Right. And,
1: and uh, Lenny Bruce says, you know, there may be a difference between a big piece of art with a little shit in the middle or a big <laughs> piece of shit with a little art in the middle. Who are you to judge?
5: Okay, <laughs> cut!
1: And look how Van Dorn is packing. So orderly, so practical.
3: of town for a while. I don't know when I'll be back. No, there's nothing wrong. You can keep things running.
1: Perfect casting, these these people. Really. Well,
0: Boyle had a very long career. Uh he had turned into somewhat of a comedy icon after a while, had a long career on TV. What was he on? Everybody loves Everybody Loves
2: loves Maimon. He played the father.
0: I don't watch much TV. I gave up when they canceled The Man from Uncle in sixty eight, but I know he had a long I know he had a long. You've
2: got some catching up to do. I know.
1: And that church that choir music keeps coming in a little more off putting, a little
2: it sounds funereal. It just sounds sadder and sadder.
0: Prater had said in the making of this that uh, it it was uh, based on the Calvinist scenes on his own rather strict upbringing. But he said that he was no fan of of pornography. And at the time he made this claim, he had never actually seen a porn movie and only inserted those uh, sexually charged scenes for the sake of realism. This is a film about extremes. It's going from one side of the world
2: to the other side. And it just, I i take a message from this in moderation that, you know, any form of extreme behavior hurts people because it excludes people or marginalizes them or disenfranchises mm-hmm. them. And, and inclusion is a is, is a message.
5: Hey, I ain't cheated, you pilgrim. This
0: is- I like this where he calls him pilgrim because it seems <laughs> to be based on the man who shot Liberty Valence, John Ford's film, in which John Wayne keeps... Uh, Giving a uh, backhanded slap at the uh, James Stewart tenderfoot character by constantly calling him Pilgrim. Not
5: perfect. Get out. Hey. This is my own apartment. Get out. All right, you rat prick. Well, go find your own daughter.
2: He's literally throwing him out of his own apartment. <laughs>
0: Was a nice little production design, set design touches on this, you know. Uh, I always pay attention to those things. Yeah, does, it, gonna, does, it, if, does, it, does it really reflect what we think the character would look waiting
1: like? Waiting to see a, one of those black velvet paintings in the background. Right. Oh, there's like even Dogs a nude on the
2: wall. Yeah. So showing the way a character lives gives you insight into who the character is. Oh, and this sure. is just completely, these are two polar opposite worlds. And it's just again, he keeps getting sucked in, and uh, this character Ramada, and and this is the this is a turning point for him in the film because he he actually becomes his own
1: investigator. Schrader does not give us any shocking, wacky montages introducing us to this this world. It's just there. In fact, when they're walking, they don't do these crazy. Uh, Dutch angle shots, x-rated films, you know, porn porn stars, whatever. It's always tracking shots, dolly shots while they're walking. It's just there in the background. And Schrader makes all this stuff that's supposedly exciting mundane.
0: Right, that's right. That's a very good point. Well, here we have him, you know, the ultimate stranger in a strange land. He might as well have landed on the moon. The casualties of the great video revolution, I guess. Well, from a moralist standpoint, the good news is that they, thousands and thousands of these porn theaters shut down when video came out. The bad news is is that far more pornography is being seen by far more people today because of the technology. So the theaters are largely gone, but. those were the those were the go-to places. We had a prurient nature in those days. Did you guys
1: see Boogie Nights?
0: Uh, yes, no. I have not. That's one of the ones that escaped me. I'm because say it, the end of
1: Scott. Boogie Nights it shows you that uh, porn has turned. Not even you don't even need good directors. You don't even need a story anymore. It's it's not. There are no stories really anymore. They're not making. High class, you know, event well,
0: film. At Cinema Retro on our website, I'll give a cheap plug: CinemaRetro.com. We take the older retro porn movies seriously, and we review them on our sites. Because, to your point, Paul, before the video came in, there were real production values to some degree to these things that be shot on film. Once they again, had they tried to put art. There was, in there. was an attempt <laughs> to put some performances on. Sometimes you saw some real talent in there. Some subdued talent. Fifty cent admission.
3: 50 cents admission do purchase
0: there's only two type of men in this world men who say they like pornography and men who lie and say they don't which is why we get so many of these great moralists that always end up in these scandals, mostly people who are like churchmen or preachers or what have you. Uh, it's just a male thing. And uh, uh, I've yet to meet a man that, if exposed to no. it, can honestly say they didn't get what, some kind of prurient proof out
1: of it. What's great here is that George C. Scott makes it embarrassing for us.
0: He, yes, makes that, well, well, he makes us embarrassed. He makes us impatient. He makes
1: us impatient to get out of there. Right. His body language when he's walking around, hanging around.
2: When I went to one of the video association conferences years ago and um, one of the heads of the association said that the video industry was actually built or and sustained by the pornography industry. They That's said, why it
0: exploded. And it opened it up to women too because women never really wanted to go to some uh, grimy, you know, grindhouse, uh but once you could bring it into the the living room, uh, who knew what well, you do. Well, this doing? was
2: a statistic from 2000 where one of the industry leaders said that uh, uh, 6 million video pornography videos were sold last year and he said it's not 6 people buying a million no, videos each. No. No,
0: and The other thing is, in today's world, of course, we couldn't foresee the Internet, uh, PCs or anything like that, but really, among the few fee-based websites that succeed in the world today, because most people think they should be free, uh, where you actually subscribe, are pornography sites. Now, you can think that's terrible, you can think that's great, but uh, uh, it's also one of the driving factors in the explosion of the Internet in the early years, the ability to see these films and and there's things on the Internet that are far coarser than anything that would ever be released to a grindhouse theater in those days. I mean, they would have been closed down in five minutes. These were in era Remember, those newspapers used to be all over. They've largely bitten the dust, too. But movie newspapers like that, sexually provocative, you would... You would get them as handouts, or sometimes you'd have to pay for them, and it was all filled with uh, classifieds of women who allegedly wanted to meet you. Screw Magazine, by Al Goldstein, was very evocative and very provocative of that era. Uh, It was a, uh, you know, like a Bible for people that wanted to read about the counterculture. Welcome to
4: Wild Mary's. I'm Beatrice. Have you been here before? No. No. What we offer here is nude body-to-body contact on a bed in a private room. It's $20 a half hour, $30 an hour. Anything else you may desire may be discussed in the privacy of your room. Tipping's allowed. We accept bank AmeriCard, master charge... American Express. A, little
1: bit of, a little bit of laughter there, I'm mm-hmm. sure, in the audience. I don't think I want um,
0: body-to-body contact. <laughs> there is some humor in this your film, which it's... Crazy. Very much needed because it's so, such a depressing. Have you ever been in a Well, that's where the what
1: Group best line in the movie, I think, is uh, when the um, seasoned Hubley character says, "Hey, at least you get to go to heaven. I don't get shit." <laughs> you
4: want a session? No, I don't think so. You sure? We have regular yes. sessions too. It's one only twenty
5: dollars. Oh, yeah. si. no, sex or
1: once again, just the dolly shots of just walking through it. It's very, very
0: well photographed.
2: The the pacing here is, by today's standards, very slow.
4: Well, that's what I said at the beginning,
0: because Schrader's not in any hurry to take us to some big shootout or car chase.
1: Every place is different, but actually the same.
0: I mean, what always gets me about this thing is, you know, like... You know, if he wants to fit in and appeal to this world, you know, walking around in a finely tailored suit, you know, kind of makes him stand yeah, out. He, I'm not sure he wouldn't, like, uh, dress down. He yeah. does later on when he right. takes on he a, doesn't, a, a, I, an alter di- ego. He doesn't
1: get that yet.
3: See you later, Felice. Hey, you ever been
4: here before? What we offer is female wrestling, that is, nude body-to-body content.
0: You can imagine a guy with his background hearing this. I wonder how they showed this on television. So much nudity. Did they ever show it on network TV? I doubt it. They would have had to have cut it up so terribly that uh, it wouldn't have been worth the effort.
1: Well, I've never really seen this film or Blue Collar, really, about.
0: Falling into the abyss.
3: Okay, I'll take a hand.
0: Any particular choice of girl? You'll do fine. Again, th- this movie had its defenders at the time, uh, and it also had its detractors. Uh, but uh, um, I think, again, it's probably aged very well. Uh, at, the, at the time of it, uh, Roger Ebert wrote, parts of the movie are autobiographical for me, according to George C. Scott, who we interviewed because I come from a pretty religious background. I can understand this guy, the way he feels. I've personally never seen a porno movie or had any desire to. It would be like invading someone's privacy. But I can get into the character's mind. You always flesh out a character. Think about his background. It's so much second nature. I don't think much about it anymore. And then it was probably a good idea for Paul to start us out in Michigan to set the mood. We were up to our asses in snow, which certainly succeeded in bringing the whole Midwest back to me. And it's
2: this whole standard, uh, the, the the entrapment uh, prevention
0: speech. Yeah, I said earlier it was Schrader that hadn't seen a uh, porn movie up until then. I, I could have been mistaken. It could have been that, that quote from Scott. So I, that's wrong. I apologize. But Schrader did have a very conservative background. And... Uh, Whether this was a rebellion against that background, I don't know. We'll have to listen to what he says.
3: No, police, I'm not a cop. matter of fact, right now I have less respect for the police than you do. I'm trying to find this girl. She's a runaway. I can't seem to get anybody to help me.
4: Are you going to stiff me? What do you mean? Look, that 20 bucks you just paid to get in here, I don't get any of that. That goes to the guys that own this place. I get two bucks an hour, 10% of that goes to a bail fund. I make all my money on tips. You want a tip? Sure I want a tip.
0: By the way, we're told that Warren Beatty was originally going to play the lead role and was actually attached to the project. But Beatty, who's been known to be very dictatorial in his demands, wanted the script to be rewritten so that the girl who was affected uh, would either be the uh, sister or or girlfriend of the uh, hero in the film. and uh, Schrader, Schrader didn't want any part of that. He had very definite ideas what he wanted to do. So, uh, Beatty left the project. At one point, uh, Steve McQueen's name was floated around as having been considering this part, but uh, I'll be honest with you, this would not be suited for Steve McQueen, if that is true. Or to Warren Beatty, for that matter. Beatty would want it to be, uh, you know, a different uh, You would think line. it
1: would not be for any known popular actor. And yet, George C. Scott seems to make it work.
2: Yeah, this requires a certain gravitas that... George C. Scott brings to the role.
0: Curiously, both this film and Taxi Driver have to do with young girls being drawn into uh, the sex profession, the sex trade, basically being trafficked. And an an unlikely uh, moral purist coming through as the the savior.
1: If you guys think back of Taxi Driver, you think of the Jodie Foster character, Iris. This movie is about Iris's friend in the film, the one who's not rescued.
0: Right. You could correct. say way this way is it. a different world, but this
1: point. now he's telling it, the story from a different angle, the ones that don't have anybody.
0: Right. Well, well what I like about this is that although Scott was very much known as a man of action, as a leading man in those days, He's not some Superman. He's not taking people out and throwing them over bars and, you know, going in with a crowbar. And, and
2: there, there's a Star, Star Wars, Wars reference. Yeah, Star Scrum Wars, yes, Star Wars. really yeah, yeah. Puts yeah. you in the in the, yeah. the exact time. Yeah. I think that was the second 79. Now, now, okay,
0: now, okay, I'm eating my words because I said before he's walking around and the... Now he's getting a bit of being streetwise here and looking and a little this more... This is the Century City Plaza yes. in L.A., which is very evocative
2: of money and power. And this is a high floor, and you see the views. And you clearly see that uh, pornography has been very, very good to him.
0: It's been, in, it's been pointed out that the, the title, Hardcore, whether intended or not by Schrader, uh, could be looked at with a dual meaning. Hardcore meaning the obvious uh, definition, uh, the sex films... And the other being hardcore, unwavering religious beliefs.
2: It's kind of conflating or comparing uh, two, in, two intractable positions as being ultimately inappropriate. Remember
5: that. What do we do in St. Louis? St. Louis? 38,000. St. Louis can bang this slowly. Who books St. Louis?
3: Hi, I'm Jake DeVries. I'm here to see Mr. Romana. Just a moment. Where's my accountant? He's
5: got a bad stomach. He's got a bad stomach. Hello. Yeah, what is it, Georgia? There's Mr. DeFreeze here to see you. I'm uh, Mr. DeFreeze. I don't know what the. De- you know what DeFries? i never heard of him. You ask where he's from. Detroit. What do we do in Detroit? Detroit? Come on, come on. Big. 200,000. Send him in, Georgia. You never can tell. Who the fuck knows? Detroit, 200,000. You never can tell. This is where we have a
0: little touch of humor in this... Film. I mean, I think Schrader realized you couldn't have it be so unrelentingly depressing and upsetting that he does introduce uh, some comedic elements, such as this.
1: What Scott's doing isn't quite working. It's not supposed to no, work. He doesn't know he's, yeah, yeah, he's he's a little yeah, over the yeah, top right, doing it.
0: Right. I mean, if anything strains credibility, it's that his instant transformation. Into this uh, streetwise uh, uh, trash. Well, the thing is,
1: uh, you're right, you can't do it. You can't transform yeah. that quickly, and that's what we're seeing. He's yeah. doing his best, yeah. but I think it's tough for an actor to kind of act badly yeah. Yeah.
0: on yeah. purpose. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right.
3: I have $50,000 that I'm prepared to invest in a suitable project. Now, of course, I may want to get involved in the process of making the film, you know meet some of the people who make this kind of film and learn how it's done.
5: I'm curious, Jake, what business are you in? I have
3: my own business. Uh, We make rivets for the auto industry. We sell to Fisherman. Rivets?
5: That sounds like a good, solid American business. Right, Kurt?
1: Right.
2: And I'm sure that uh, he's been approached before by wealthy businessmen who want to get into the pornography business. He's very comfortable in this meeting. Looks a little like
0: Joey Bishop. I'll
3: be frank with you you know, i made a lot of money, but well, even rivets can get a little boring after a while, you know. So, when my business manager
0: suggested that I tax shelter some income, I
1: thought, and once again, you talked about promoting on the talk shows. I don't know how this movie was promoted, or even if the stars promoted it.
0: I don't remember. I think, I think it made money, it was very controversial. Uh, but among among the people, as I said before, defended it was Roger Ebert, who gave it, gave it a very good rating, and uh saw its merits uh, before a lot of people actually did. I mean, in in a way, there were some elements of it that looked like a museum piece in the sense of the technology and how pornography was available in those days. But there's also a timeless quality to it Mm -hmm. because, if anything, the video revolution exponentially... Uh, increase the number of people who got involved with the sex trade uh, whether voluntarily or involuntarily Um, so there this type of thing is probably going on even more today than it was then lost souls who have fallen into the belly of the beast so to speak The only difference is in those days, New York and L.A. were the centers of the porn business, L.A. being the most prominent. uh, Almost all the porn films you see from that era were shot in L.A., usually with the really street locations. They had some production values. Today, of course, through video, anywhere can be the center of the porn business, and we now have a lot of it coming out of Asia.
1: Um, And a lot of it is homegrown.
0: Right, a lot of it is literally homegrown. Yeah. Where you know through these adult websites, you can put anything you want on there. You're not going to make any money from it, but if you're uh, an exhibitionist, it must be paradise.
1: They do a little bit of a stretch here, but I guess Schrader's trying to push the envelope when the uh, the producer says, "Start small. Start with the kitty porn. Yeah. That stuff is really
0: yes. overseas." Well, kitty porn in those days. Um, it was far more accepted. I mean, it was always illegal, technically, but you would see it openly displayed in some of these sleeve shops. And I remember going to Europe in 77, and child pornography was being sold in newsstands in, in in Paris and Rome, you know, next to the daily newspapers and Life magazine or what have you.
1: Now, uh, so. Blink, and uh, you'll miss uh, Ed Begley Jr., folks.
0: This is Ed Begley Jr., huh? Interesting point. Brandon, I guess I'm going first class, huh? Cut! Is
5: that okay? What kind of army has a
4: soldier
1: like that? Let's move in the Come on. They are treating it as a real production. Well,
0: back in those days, and this is what we say, some people say, why do you review some of these retro porn movies on cinema retro? Is because they had cultural significance at the time, even if you disdain them. And there were attempts to tell a story in a lot of cases and to groom some actual talent. And some of this some of the performances every now and then are surprisingly good.
4: Are you kidding? Uh, right. Three days work I finished tonight.
0: The other girl's a start
4: she thinks so what do you do?
3: I'm with Ramada. We're doing some things together.
4: Well, next time you talk to him, uh,
1: tell him to pay his you actresses
5: for Paint the grass red. Paint the paint road red. Hey, I the don't red. Red. I Don't talk red. that way to me, you cockeyed bastard.
2: Come on, Nicky, we are ready. Come on, get put your way back on and take your position. Come on. Yeah,
4: we're ready to shoot. It's nice meeting you. You're really
0: good, Kevin. I mean, you needed some money in those days to do porn because I everything was shot on film. And film was always expensive. You know, most of it was shot on 16 mil. But this is, very, this is very realistic about how porn movies were made. There was always a setup. It didn't just jump straight into the action. These things were shown in theaters, and they were made like feature films. They were feature films. Yeah, so, and
2: you needed distribution. So as long as you come up with product. There
0: was some production value. So there was always some attempt to gradually lead you into a story. They rarely started off with the hottest action in the first scene. So, you know, and a lot of the people involved were not very pleased they were in the porn industry, and they tried to exert their acting skills such as they were. The people behind the camera, the same thing. Sometimes there was some real talent there, but most of them never got a chance in the legitimate business. Uh, That's why a lot of them worked under nom de plumes. I mean, most people didn't take their real names in this industry because, especially behind the scenes, it would basically bar you from ever getting well, good Well, that's
1: why I read that uh, many people in the, say, the uh, hooker industry do not want it to become legal. Why? Because I have to give my real name? Well,
0: that's a very good point. That is a very good point. You'd have to be registered and everyone would know your background. I, I never thought of that, actually.
1: Shortly before he passed away in 1994, Dick Sargent publicly proclaimed he was gay and became, in his words, a retroactive role model for gay rights. His last film was a pretty good thriller, Acting on Impulse, where he was in the company of many reliable players of independent film, such as Mary Warrenoff, Cassandra Peterson, you may know her best as Elvira, and Brink Stevens, who yours truly did have the pleasure to work with on one of my low-budget efforts. called every
3: L.A. hotel. Holiday Inn gave this as a referral number. Office said you didn't have any uh, business in New York, so I figured you'd come out here. Leslie,
2: do me a favor, will you? Again, to the point we've made before in commentaries about the leading man not being classically good-looking. George C. Scott was a presence.
0: Right, he was striking-looking, but, but he not wasn't necessarily handsome in the classical in the classical sense, right, yeah. sense and not thin, and not he was stocky and powerfully built but I think there's really one glaring difference between the film industry of then and now aside from special effects is that people weren't chosen for their looks necessarily in those days I mean glamour was always a part of Hollywood but you could have leading men especially who look like this you know uh, they weren't pretty boys and they look like people you wouldn't meet and know in real life and I always say it's because they fell into acting I mean most of these guys drifted they fought in World War II they didn't know what to do after it so guys like Scott and Lee Marvin and Charles Bronson who were not handsome men ended up drifting into acting and uh Uh, You just don't see that happen today. They do a market study about how cute the leading man is and how many, you know, how that's gonna play in in Peoria and uh, I don't think a guy that looks like Scott or half of these other people we see would ever get major roles.
2: Well now the metric is not only how people will play in America, it's how they'll play overseas as well. That's
0: exactly right. We're
2: watching a number of the recent blockbusters open in New York in L.A., a month after they opened, that's right. In in Hong Kong and in London and in Brussels, and a fellow movie critic when, uh, said to me recently well, that New York is now the Cleveland of movie openings. <laughs> <laughs> and it's 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 sad in a way, but um, but you see you see the demographics changing.
0: Absolutely, it's a different industry too. This here we it have here's the
2: complete transformation, yeah. right down to the tie-dye T-shirt.
0: Well, at the heart of most of these people that drift into the porn business is a desire to actually be in some form of show business. Of course, from a male perspective, part of it is just the lure of getting paid to have sex. I, I don't know if
1: it's just a rumor or not. I have I have read that uh, it was harder to get men than women.
0: Well, because men have to perform in biological ways that women don't. Women can fake it, men can't. And there is, if you want to call it, I hate to call it a talent, we'll say there's a very unique ability that not many men have uh, to be able to perform on command, which is why you saw the same people over and over and over again. That is, this is funny. I'm
5: Dick Black. You're doing a porno movie, right? Right.
3: Then I'm the man for you. I'm glad to meet you, Mr. Black, but I'm afraid you're not exactly the type we're looking for
5: you mean because i'm black
3: no you just not the type what do you mean not the type man don't you know who i am i'm big
2: dick black i've done more porno movies than you ever saw i worked with harry Reams, John- yeah, he's he's Big dig Black.
0: Yeah, they referenced to the Johnny Wad, a.k.a. John Holmes, who was a ubiquitous uh, presence, probably the most famous porn actor of all time, uh, usually known as Long Johnny Wad. So that line resonated with audiences at the time, because if you weren't into pornography, you probably had heard of John Holmes, a.k.a. Long Johnny Wad, who... literally made movies with thousands of women from, you know, five-minute loops to actual feature films.
3: I'm afraid you're not exactly the type. We had something uh,
5: a little different in mind. Don't you want to see my stuff, man? What stuff? You know, my uh, stuff.
2: He doesn't say no thank you at this yeah, point. Yeah, he yeah, says, I just sorry. show me. And- yeah, yeah, get very this impressive.
0: The I, I imagine maybe this is how these things went. Don't call us. <laughs> we'll
1: call <laughs> you. <laughs> Who would think George would be shot in that angle through pants? <laughs>
0: yeah. But this is where the, the story takes a very important yeah, turn.
1: And and this sequence, I you, the tension, you start to cut it with a, you know with a knife. It just gets really heavy.
0: Because so we have to assume that he's done far more of these than we've just seen, so he's physically exhausted. I like the haircuts on the guys at mm-hmm. the time. You know, bobsy twin well, Prince, Valiant. Prince Valiant. Yeah, Prince
1: Valiant, yeah. I guess they've shown that photograph enough to us for us to finally recognize it's the guy in the picture.
2: Yes, this is the famous Jism Jim. And it's kind of the detachment that all these guys have, that they're just kind of, they're not connected to themselves, they're not connected to society. It's all about, the, yeah,
1: I'm just
3: working. Yeah. I particularly liked you uh,
0: in this film. Oh, yeah, I remember that. It was made by some college kids.
3: It's called Slave of Love?
0: God, I don't know what it was called. I never even saw it. I only got 25 bucks for the whole goddamn thing.
3: Well, I liked you. Also liked the girl. Really thought she was good. I was wondering uh, if she's still around, she's still working. Miss, wait a minute.
0: I need the work, and I want to be in your picture. But that is one bitch that I will not work with again. That was one freaky bitch,
2: man. I don't know what she was into. I don't know what she was on. I just don't want anything to do with her again, OK? You know what she did to me? My prick was so red and sore and chewed out, I couldn't walk for a goddamn week. <laughs> And here you're watching the rage explode. You know, it's building up for such a long time.
0: Those jeans are amazing. Yeah, those are some jeans, man. Today, of course, to promote the movie, you'd be able to get your hardcore (laughs) jeans to tie in with.
5: Where's the girl? Where is she? This guy, oh my got His name is Todd. Where does he hang out? I don't know, man. I don't know. Where is Look, uh, I know this chick named Nikki. She works at La Girls. Uh, she, she would know. She knows where he lives. Honest.
0: Star Wars. If you
1: were to make uh, this story today like a period piece about the porn industry back then, this is the music you'd use? Yes. This is the set you'd would, use? Yeah,
0: <laughs> that That's a clever thing there, That Star Wars thing, which was all the rage, obviously, around the late 70s. And uh, the porn industry has always been exceptional at exploiting whatever was hot at the time. So, you know, whether it was a spy movie, a space flick, whatever it was, they always capitalized on it.
2: Uh, yeah, and they they gave a lot of credit to people who would take the names of popular movies. And well, Romancing re-tis.
0: the Bone on Golden Blonde. Forrest <laughs> Hump. Yeah. <is> <laughs> Thunderballs.
1: Here, here we meet... Uh...
2: And here's that classic uh, set up that you had spoken about before where you put the money in and the, yeah uh, but
0: the ones they had in Times Square uh, when I was young I never spoke to anybody <laughs> the window would go up and there would be a naked woman on a stage and as or, we can see
1: move move away don't be close when that thing yeah. comes down wham <laughs> uh,
0: I think mean, it's pretty bold stuff for actresses to do in those days and that's something you don't see very often today either uh, most actresses are not going to do nudity, especially full frontal nudity.
1: Uh, season is involved uh, heavily with uh, Animal Rescue today. Yes,
0: Season, Hubley, uh, it's a good performance. Again, sort of, uh, sort of, we and we can picture this being Iris, you know, from Taxi Driver, right. to say, a few years on, had she not been rescued right. in Taxi Driver. This is where she would have ended up.
4: Don't
3: I know you? Weren't you on the set the other night
4: with Ramallah? Yeah. You making a feature? Uh Uh-huh, life's You got any parts? I'm free. I don't really do this.
3: Jim and I are trying to run down this girl. Uh, Do you know her?
4: I can't see shit without my glasses. Joanne? You know her? No. I seen her with Todd. You know where she lives? Nah.
3: You know where she might be found?
0: Perfect. (laughs) Your three minutes are up.
3: Where is she?
4: Well, Todd might know. Where's he? Last I heard, he went to San Diego. If
5: we went down there,
4: You think you'd be able to find him? You're not a film producer, are you? Um... How much you make a week, Mickey? You're a private detective.
3: Something like that. How much you make?
4: Here? Oh, what a joke. There was some other detective asking about that girl. 300? (sighs) This is just temporary. I once made 900 in alcohol.
3: I'll give you $700 a week cash if
4: you'll help me find this girl. Up front? Half now, half late. Making
2: 900 That was my best week. Okay, my client is And this is just a
0: world that's all
2: about the money. Yeah.
1: Oh, you bet.
0: It's believably written. Uh, Again, yeah, that's very, very daring for uh, an actress to do.
1: We find out that Peter's not out of the picture quite yet. I don't
2: recognize this deli, but I always look for locations in New York that in L.A. I might have
0: recognized. It's probably still there in some formation. Sargent's character is uh, is an admirable guy. I mean, clearly, you'd like to think that's what a friend would do. Right. And it's also especially somebody who's a man of faith.
1: Yeah, he's he's very pure of intent. And once again, we find out that one reason he kind of wants to save uh, George from doing anything really stupid because he says that he this you know he is kind of a loose cannon he knows him he could maybe seen him fly off at times or see that anger
0: he's still reserved enough even though he's seen her completely naked with her legs open he feels compelled to put on a shirt it's a nice little touch and to pay for two hotel rooms
1: that's right
2: What's great about this story and what's the, the essence to any good story is that the characters remain consistent, that whatever they do, it's within the range of expectations.
0: That's right, yeah. I think she's very good in this season, Hubby. She, she never really went on to major stardom, did she? Uh,
2: she, uh, she had a number of roles in the kind of violent
0: uh, seven, exploitation 70s Exploitation films. films, but she's quite good in this. And at the time... This film was knocked in some quarters, and some of the people involved were nominated for, what, the equivalent of the, you know, the Raspberry Awards. Oh, I didn't know that. This. Yeah, and, and, and nobody in this is deserving of it. It's, uh, uh, there aren't any bad performances in this film. I think she's especially good. She's very believable.
1: Well, if you make this type make this type of film for public consumption, you know you have to you don't know where the lines going to be drawn between what's uh, what's to the point, what's a little vulgar to some, how far in like That's screenwriter, right. it's always best to go a little far than not.
0: Right. don't worry about it. will in a couple of days. Of course, today I think one of the things that compromises uh, screenwriting in some regard is technology because in the old days uh, reliance on pay phones and file systems and shoe leather added to suspense. In today's world, of course, we know almost everything he'd be doing, he'd still be in Grand Rapids being far more effective contacting right. people on the internet than he right. would be, you know, walking around. I, I
2: think you just have to do a little more work to make a story like this work in contemporary times because somebody can also still drop off the grid.
0: Well, you know, no, people drop off the grid all the time. I'm simply saying the way to look for them uh, today, a person's time would probably be spent uh, more obviously trying to track people through internet uh sites oh, and you could. you, you could would have, still there's still private detectives obviously and the police are still you could search. have
2: offered a reward on social media and right. just started Facebook. my daughter well, is missing yeah. I
0: mean you know th- that solves plenty of cases that show america's most wanted uh, has an excellent track record of Finding criminals. Well, there's
1: also them. the thing is there's less locations, venues. Well, uh, no more. Uh, let's go. To, let's do the, the telegraph scene. Well, there's a, a show the on. There's scene. a
0: show on today. It's popular. An ID discovery called uh, Disappeared, and it's just about everyday people, to Eddie's point, who just go missing inexplicably. Sometimes the cases are very eerie in nature, where, you know, people with no crazy histories and no bad company that they keep just don't come home from work. And sometimes they vanish without a clue. Uh, but the first line of defense by the police and everybody else is to go to the internet because you stand a much greater chance of, of, uh, of finding the person. But I think in a way, uh, while that opens up some opportunities for storylines, technology, it closes others. I, I, I often think if you look at old movies, where people are stuck. Well, let's take a, a favorite of yours and mine, Paul, The Haunting, mm-hmm. okay, where people are outside in the British countryside in this rural home and they get in trouble. Well, today, of course, all you have to do is just pick up a, a cell phone. and it, it, Right. It, the amount of compromises you have to make to put people in situations where a cell phone isn't available I'll give you, is I'll considerable. Give you an
1: example oh, one who's... thing, one thing. You notice in this scene, he's given this nice little talk about how his religion works. Seems to be the only time, at least so far in the film, he's talking like he's interesting to tell somebody something, like he wants to educate. He he seems like he's in in his environment. He's coming to take on a father figure. What were you saying,
0: Eddie, about the... uh...
2: There was a film, uh, I think two years ago, called Gone Girl, about a wife who goes missing. And even in an era... Our era now, where you've got all this technology, she was uh, unfindable and presumed dead for a certain point. But the plot was so interest, intricately constructed that it allowed for this kind of story to be told. No,
0: and this type of scenario goes on every day when the internet fails us. So sometimes old-fashioned shoe leather is just it. But uh, you know, you have to employ that, uh, go door to door, and you know, knock on doors. But I'm just saying, it's. It was not possible to solve a case back then unless you did this. Today, it's just another option. But uh, That's correct. There's those shirts we wore in the 70s, guys. They call them Huckapoo shirts. Well, no wonder the, the 70s is known as the decade that style forgot. we will
4: be back in a couple of hours. Okay, tell him Louise is here. we will come back later.
1: You want it? At the time of this filming, Susan Hubley was married to actor Kurt Russell, this same year, Season played Priscilla Presley to Kurt's Elvis Presley in the TV movie Elvis. She would later appear with Kurt in Escape from New York. They were divorced a few years later.
3: she need all that junk anyway. It's no good for
4: her. At least I'm a growing person,
3: huh? And you won't keep growing long at this rate.
4: It start coming down
0: but again, you notice that there's no sets, or at least no apparent sets used on this film. Nothing that looks like sets anyway. The seedy motels look like he rented a CD motel, and the offices look like offices. Well, this it, it was, this was cinema verite of right. the 70s. And I always think when I, when I look at shots like this in major cities, it looks simple. But can you imagine the logistics of filming this? without having people standing around or, or gawking at it. It's really an amazing shot that is lost on, on, on you when you first see That was see it. also
2: a component of the 70s. Include the, the, I think the best stories come from the French Connection, where they actually shut down the Brooklyn Bridge I was thinking kind of illegally in order to get a shot. <laughs>
0: Well they they did in the movie the horror film Twenty Eight Days Later, uh and twenty what is it, twenty eight days later I believe. Yeah, and uh where they needed that uh, that great shot on Tower Bridge in London. Well you couldn't get them to close it down. They went out at dawn and put up fake barriers had <laughs> people telling people can you imagine today they'd be shot in a minute uh but it worked. They they had like, I don't know, five minutes to get some great shots of 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 it empty. That's pure yeah.
1: guerrilla filmmaking.
4: neither am
0: I that's all you do
4: it's not all, uh, how important do you think sex is not very <laughs> although we're just alike I mean you think it's so unimportant that you don't even do it I think it's not important
0: film Scott did around you know. this era a couple years before I think in 77 that I thought that was Also very underrated was the adaptation of Hemingway's uh, Islands in the Stream. It's a magnificent film. It's a beautiful film, and he is superb in it. You know, he's one of these guys, even if he made a clunker of a movie, he personally never gave a bad performance. or be anything less than very he never commanding. phoned it in. He was always never prepared, phoned it in. That's good way of putting and it.
1: Yeah. did pretty good in horror too. In, he, Exorcist in Exorcist three,
0: three not not a great movie, but he's good in it. And The Changeling, which is an interesting little horror film, Canadian horror film from 1980. That's uh, that did it with his then wife, uh, I think Trish Van He'd been married to Colleen Dewhurst before that. And, he did uh, a film with Trish Vanderveer in 1971. Very good. We talk about you know how we like uh, old-fashioned private eye movies and crime films. A movie called The Last Run that he did right after Patton. Yes. Uh, very good film. Didn't get much attention at the time, but it's a, I would encourage people to look it up and see it. It's very good. He was a very hot-tempered guy. Um, didn't get along with Kubrick on Strangelove uh, to a certain degree because uh, never liked never liked the, the, the fact that uh, Kubrick drove him mad by doing a hundred of the same takes as was his want, but he always thought that Kubrick was making him look foolish in the film and that he used his over-the-top takes. Of course, uh, one critic called it the comic performance of the decade, Scott and Dr. Strangelove, but he wasn't always a good judge of how he would look on film, and he didn't care for what he was doing in Strange Book. Whether he changed his mind, I don't know, but uh, uh, he was never gave a false performance. He was also never gave up the theater, which people on Broadway which was his first home uh, really yeah he started on Broadway he never gave up on it i mean, until much until very late in his career I remember towards you know the end of his career I mean going and seeing him on Broadway in a production of inherit the wind and you know it was magnificent to see him on stage real thrill but he never turned his back on theater I mean, he largely got in, engulfed with, a lot of people knew him, it was because he refused to show up and accept the Oscar for Patton, which was, you know, unheard of at those, in those days. And uh, he said later, I just regret it, I didn't know it was going to become the big international thing I'd become known for. Uh, I, I should have just shown up and accepted the damn thing. meet you at that bookstore down there at 4
4: o'clock tomorrow. You're Why can't I meet him now?
3: Hey. Why can't I meet him now? Busy now. Where
4: does he live? Hey. Listen. I risk my ass. We got my way, okay? We got
2: everything here, folks. <laughs> if you're too old, we got seatbelts
0: for you, sir. If you're too old, we have seatbelts for you. Yeah. <laughs>
4: the
2: rest
3: of my life at least it seems that way
4: yeah i know what you mean after a while they all look the same
3: they are the same
4: hey uh, do you live on in a house back in wherever
3: grand rapids of course
0: love those shirts it's <laughs> like jack ward's uh garage sale there This is a good scene, I think, because it, it humanizes her and him. All she wants is a normal life, and, you know, what went wrong? What, what what went wrong with anybody who ends up in that situation, in that business?
4: Your wife isn't dead, is she? Why do you say that?
0: That's just a guess. She isn't dead, though,
4: is she?
3: Where is she now? Back east somewhere. It doesn't
4: matter. Does
1: your daughter know? Of course. Another little three-quarter plot point. We find this out. And then you go, one of those magic times where as a a viewer you go, holy smokes, of course. (laughs) (laughs) At the same
0: time, that's where that's you
1: go, oh, it makes sense. But it was a surprise.
0: I think it's wise that Schrader also avoided another obvious uh, direction, and have Scott in some way fall into seduction by right. this young girl. Right. You know, which
1: he doesn't take the it easy almost, way. You're
0: almost expecting it to happen at some right. point, just to get some kind of a hot scene in there, or some kind of. But it, you know, it doesn't happen. He doesn't lose his moral compass in all this.
1: Yeah. and it would be it would be tough to somehow still root for him yeah.
0: right. if he exactly. did exactly exactly yeah a, a similar thing was in the the fine uh film lost in translation where bill murray falls for young scarlett johansson he's married his wife's back home he's in japan and you're just waiting through this whole thing for this inevitable sex scene and when it doesn't happen you say, my God, that's terrific. <laughs> they had they had the courage to to not go the obvious direction.
4: At least you get to go to heaven. I don't get shit.
5: Pilgrim, (laughs) this is uh, just how you found me once. What are you doing here? Look, I felt like such a shit after what I did to you, Pilgrim. Not that I did anything wrong.
2: It's a little bit of redemption here because now Pilgrim's character is more, we like him more.
5: Well, it's lucky for him, no (laughs) one looks at his face. Police want to arrest me? Nah. They don't care about some faggot hustler. They're more interested in your daughter's health. And yours. Like I am. Yeah, sure. Look, Pilgrim. You're way out on a limb here. You don't know what you're into. Well, you sure as hell haven't been any help. Look, I'm sorry about that. Now, what have you found out? You gotta tell me. Why don't you tell me something for a change? Like what?
3: Who's tan. Where did
5: you hear
3: that name? I just heard. Who is he?
0: <sighs> Waiting for the to say, Ratan runs a table store on Hollywood Boulevard. Right. You know you can buy anything on this. I mean, this is like the equivalent when he says that name, Kaiser Sose. <laughs>
2: Well, it's interesting to have, you need a character that everybody's scared about, yeah. because it also heightens the tension. Well, yeah. How are you yeah. going to bring this film to, how are you going to bring this story to a, to a logical conclusion? I mean, obviously he's going to find his daughter, yeah. um, but you need to have an element of danger, because if he just yeah. found her and this took her. This guy that's
0: so scary that even Peter Boyle's character doesn't want to right. utter his name.
2: You also wouldn't see, to your point, Lee, you wouldn't see a movie today where you would refer to a character as the whore. Right. Maybe a political campaign, but not a mainstream
0: (laughs) movie. (laughs)
1: And now it starts to get uglier and uglier and the colors get deeper and Good point yeah it gets a uh, more and, and by the looking, time I yeah. believe he finds rattan or something he's literally in hell I mean yeah. it's lower yeah. as low as you can go
0: there's one of those so-called erotic uh, decorations in the background. There. Right, you know, there you people go. used to put in their bachelor pads. And this is the dirty bookshop that's
2: been around since uh, Howard Hawks, The Big Sleep. You know, there was always an understanding <laughs> right. that there was a seedier side of Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> but The Big Sleep was '46, and this is uh, this is decades later. And he's seen those boots
1: before in the movie. And now, you know, Schrader has to cover all the bases. We've covered the, covered the idea of uh, kitty porn. Now we're going into the world of snuff films.
0: Right. Which, despite all the urban legends there really aren't substantiated cases of this it may be I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's been somebody that filmed right. somebody getting killed somewhere but in terms there's certainly never been a theatrical release right? and a lot of what in, in the late 70s snuff films there were rumors going around that they were happening all over they were prevalent right. in the film industry and they actually made an exploitation film called snuff which got a lot of stupid people into theaters believing they were going to see somebody killed on screen in an R-rated movie but of course it was a fictionalized movie about a snuff film I
1: suppose, uh, you know, for the audience here, he had to include it. It was on people's minds, I guess. Well, we have to put it into. It was widely
0: believed that these things were prevalent on an underground circuit, but despite people looking back in the day and trying to uncover that part of the porn industry, which was certainly harassed mercilessly by politicians and law enforcement, no one ever came up with evidence of an actual snuff film, at least in America. Yeah. And even the T-shirt, I
2: think that's from the movie Flash Gordon, uh, which was very popular at the time, ah. the, with the Queen soundtrack. Yeah, I, I, I remember the urban legends in that era that you had no way of disproving. One of them was if you, which which album, if you played backwards, it said Paul McCartney was dead.
0: Yeah, well, well, yeah, if... If you on Strawberry Fields, yeah. uh, you know, there was all that gibberish at the end of it. But it's very clear that not to differ, not to go off on a tangent here, but the Beatles were certainly having some fun with fans because that stuff was more than just a coincidence. Th- those were definitely some jokes in there. But there were a lot of, uh, you know, we think today we live in, an, in a crazy conspiracy world. Uh, that's largely due to the Internet. But there were always kooky Fringe people that are willing to believe every at anything, you know, the JFK assassination. Go back to Lincoln; people were believing it was shot by his Secretary of War, orchestrated it.
1: Well, early deaths of anybody is so upsetting. People think it can't happen. It has to be a why was this taken away That's from right. it? Has to and, be a bigger and, picture and you of know people what? to be punished.
0: As Groucho once said, I think it was Groucho. Sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. And, and it uh, was Groucho. Uh, yeah, and you know. There isn't always an exotic or titillating answer to things, but certainly conspiracy theories were around in those days, and they did center some of them on the uh a lot of things were famous stars appearing yeah. in old silent loops uh and they'd as, take a still frame of something, pass it around in a magazine, and say that's so and so and the colors
1: are so saturated yeah. here, as I yeah. said, it would just get lower yeah. and lower and
0: it's almost like sepia tones that, yeah. yeah. Oh, like you say, he's in hell now. He's This is it. This is the abyss. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a very disturbing scene because I would certainly think since the video revolution, somewhere somebody has certainly been filmed being killed. And it's a
2: prolonged scene now. Now I'm officially watching porn with two other men. Right, right.
1: A great job of having the film reflected back at Scott. Yeah.
0: I mean, this is pure exploitation, uh, putting this in, because it's not completely necessary to the plot. Uh, I think this is less a social statement than, you know, selling tickets.
5: What's the matter with your room? TV's broke.
1: Yeah?
5: Well, this one's broke, too. I like
1: the bed. Andy Mast is about as far away one could get to being a romantic. If Jake Van Dorn is cold in his world, Andy is more so in his. The idea of being rescued or redeemed is out of the question. His extreme cynicism could be the way he survives his job. The dude
5: with the big white car. The guy who bought you that ring. I know that boy. He can make life real tough on a working girl. He can uh, get you strung out again. He can get you sniffing and snorting.
2: That's the other dark side about how women get caught, got caught up into this industry through drug addiction. Oh yeah.
4: Well, I don't plan on seeing him again anyway.
5: Oh no. What are you going to do? Get a job. Office temporaries. Computer programmer. Cosmetologist.
4: But Jake will take care of me.
5: Who Van Dorn? You got to be kidding yourself, honey. Think once he finds his daughter, he's going to think about you? No way, kid. you would be strictly yesterday's.
1: There's a great book by actor Frank Langella titled Drop Names. I like the audiobook version because Langella narrates it. And he talks about some of his actor friends that have since passed on and mentions that the key of being a really great film actor is to have a sense of danger. Langella mentions that his good friend Paul Newman did not necessarily have that sense of danger, but that Steve McQueen did, James Dean certainly did, and that George C. Scott did. My daughter's been missing for
3: five months, and I've gone through a lot to try to find out what's happened to her. Today, I saw Rattan kill a girl. I'm not going to let this Todd slip through my hands. Now, where is he?
4: Then you'll forget about me. It's <laughs>
1: some me. We see but that Van Dorn, Dorn, Dorn can get out of Dorn. control, and we wonder is this the first time?
2: This darkens the character because he could have just yeah. as easily said, No, I won't forget about yeah. you. Right. Because this idea of smacking her and then kissing her. Um, it's all about the conflict.
5: Look, where are you going? Let me take care of this. I don't want you to get hurt. Look, don't do anything till the police get there. Look, you got to tell me where he's gone. Hello. Hello, police. My name is Mass. Get me Joe Klein advice.
1: he finds rattan they go through this chase and start ripping and just going through fake walls like yeah. this whole place is phony the whole yeah. thing yeah. the, the great, whole world this whole world yeah. of porn is just a bunch of crap it's not real yeah. it's a facade it's fake and you literally they just go right through it just ripping ripping through walls
0: again the hellish yes it's, uh, right Lighting.
1: I mean, he, was, he, even, he even went downhill to get to the place.
0: Dominatrixes, people with whips. Right.
1: I mean, you always hurt the one you love, but this is ridiculous. <laughs> and, and
2: just nothing fun or engaging about it. Right. I mean, you it's, see it presented okay. in other versions yeah. Yeah. in contemporary you know, shows where
0: it's a sign of affection. The first five, I don't know. Nurse Diesel yeah. and Harvey Corman in uh, High Anxiety seem to be in
1: I mean, the first five <laughs> minutes of the film, this is kind of mundane. Well, we go. Here's the opposite end of the spectrum, fellas. This is what you you want. This either.
4: Hey, you want?
3: Hey, didn't like the movie? Listen, I got another one. I want my daughter. Her name is Kristen or Joanne. She- I don't know what you're talking about, man. Police know about Rattan. They know he's here with you. They know everything. Oh yeah?
0: It's tied up in the chair there. Right, it wasn't part of the bargain. It's a very good scene. <laughs>
1: bit of taxi driver call back there a little bit you know you think you're going through that same yeah. scene with Travis yeah
0: yes. Yeah, you're right in both films uh, the hero right. ends up in a den of iniquity right, beating some guy up well it's also part of Schrader's
2: signature of taking these dark characters and watching them sink into the abyss Right. this is a particularly graphic scene
0: yeah. or violent scene It's a good setting too. Of that street is just going down and down.
1: And you really think that uh, Peter Boyle better save George C. Scott because he's really going to get himself in trouble here. bizarre church music again. Some F. Murray Abraham vibes watching this. A little Scarface.
2: Yeah, a character's name, an actor's it, name. It's, is always, it's always a bit difficult
0: when this. Who's this, a season villain? Is somebody either. you've never seen? You know, it doesn't it, resonate. There was
2: still. no exposition right. before of him hurting other people. Right. So we're not as invested. So he's just a uh, really
0: nameless sort of not nameless, but certainly nondescript person.
1: Performances in Schrader's Blue Collar are just as good as this film's. Richard Pryor gives, in my opinion, his best performance on film, and possibly Yafet Kyoto as well. It's a disturbing look at both union and management, implying that neither really cares about your welfare, but they do want control. And the best way to do that is just to keep everyone in their place.
3: Oh, that's not true. Baby, you didn't believe they took you away. I love you.
4: Don't touch me, you cocksucker! You never gave a fuck about me before! You didn't! So don't touch me now! I didn't fit into your goddamned world. I wasn't pretty or good enough for you. You never approved of any of my friends. You drove them all away. I'm with people who love me now. You robbed my life.
2: That's the classic agony of any parent going through that moment.
3: I do love you. I just never knew how to show you. It's very difficult for me nobody ever taught me.
2: And here's the indictment of his world, that you're good, you're moral, you wanna do the right thing, but you don't know how to communicate affection to your children, which any culture would see as not a good thing. And this is the moment where you see that it's the relationship is repairable that no matter what happened there's at least room on both sides to move forward so it has i was thinking as i watched the ending again whether how it should have ended and there's no way that a film like this could have ended any other way than this
0: In well it certainly would have been acceptable if it, if going through all that there was no oh. redemption at the end
1: and as you can see it's alternately happy and sad Yes, Uh, we've both been through a lot.
2: And he's stabbed, he's bleeding, and he's not even focusing on his own injury.
3: Some way I
1: can. What she wants is something Van Dorn doesn't know how to give, at least just yet.
0: It's an unsatisfying ending, but it's probably more realistic, you know?
3: Andy?
5: I think maybe you can do something for him. Maybe money, maybe uh, go home. There's nothing you can do. You don't belong here.
2: You're right, Lee, the the point, the um, uh, connection to the man who shot Liberty Valance, James Stewart's Pilgrim character wound up up reforming the West, fixing the problem. He was an agent for (laughs) change, where here uh, this Pilgrim's character is just... Is a Pilgrim. And this
1: is a nice fade out here because they do make it look like the lights are now going out.
0: Well, thank you for joining us for Paul Schrader's Hardcore. Uh, thanks to Eddie Friedfeld and Paul Scrabo for joining us on this. And uh, uh, thank you to Paul Schrader for making a, a great film. And check out our, uh, our uh, website at cinemaretro.com. And Paul, Eddie?
1: Well, okay. uh, this is Paul Scrabo. Thank you for watching Hardcore with us.
2: And this is Eddie. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Lee. And thank you for watching.